Hello, and welcome to Veterinary Journal Club, a continuation of Vet Books. This is episode five? Five. Chapter five, four. Five, chapter four. Plus one. Yeah, four pl- and plus one. Um, so this is chapter four. This is the follow-up to <laughs> chapter three. <laughs> um, but <laughs> chapter three was CPR, and this is post-cardiac arrest care. Um, so actually same authors as the last chapter, doctors Bowler and Fletcher, but they flip-flopped first and second author. Oh, that's weird. Why is that weird? I think it's weird that they authored two and just made it one chapter. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're pretty distinct actually. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I I think it's important that they're separate chapters. Um, It's lucky there's not a pre-CPR chapter. That's the rest of the book. No, it'd just be like the entire life the of animals. Entire, <laughs> the rest of the book is ideally pre-CPR. Well, that would be a, there's a course of Virginia called The Normal Animal. Yeah. That would be that. Yeah. Pre-CPR. <laughs> no, but animal. like, I mean, I think I, I said this before, like the best, the most successful CPR is the one you don't have to do. So literally everything else in the book is pre-CPR, including post-CPR. In a, uh, post-CPR care is also pre-CPR diagrams, care. There was like, probably. It was like an eyeball and it's like. Make sure you don't have to do CPR. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Prevent. Prevent. So, uh, confession. I didn't exactly thoroughly read this chapter uh, again. I'm sure I've read it at some point. Because you've been busy. Because it's been my birthday. You've been doing birthday stuff for me. It's Topher's birthday. He turned 47. No, I didn't turn 47. That's how old you are. Ha. No. I'm two times two times three times three. He said this, I can't tell you how many times. Uh, he's like, he's 36, and he's like, it's two times two times three times three. And, or six squared. And um, two squared times my two husband's squared. a math nerd. That's it. That's it. <laughs> that's just, that's the end of the statement. It's numerology. You're a dork. You're without the weird. But yes, so happy birthday. Um, so we've been on mini hiatus and doing some birthday stuff. And yeah, but we're back. Back to work, back to podcasting. Um, but yeah, I was, I was kind of bad and I didn't like read this. Um, but I mean, in, I, I, don't, I shouldn't really have to like read the chapter, but um, I did skim it really quickly so that I'd be somewhat prepared for this. Um, and it's nice and, you know, it's important the way it's organized. Um, you know, so did, did you read it? No. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'm not a vet. I don't have to. Um, I looked through it for the game. For the game? Mm-hmm. Is it a new game? No, it's an old game. It's an old game? Yeah. For uh, all the new game ideas, we need another actual expert on so that they can... Like, other than me, you mean? Yeah. (laughs) It's like... Like, It wouldn't be fair if I did it. I I don't know anything about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I would just crush you in every game we played. Well, before we get to the game, um, we should probably chat about the chapter. So, the the main thing to for me is there's, the way I think about it, like two major components to post-arrest care... And there is whatever caused them to die in the first place, like that needs to be addressed. Um, And sometimes it's been addressed and you don't, you're like, okay, I'm good. Um, But most of the time there are still like that, that you still have to kind of address that or at least complete. So they don't just die again. Exactly. Because they're, if you don't, then they're totally going to die again. But now we also have to grapple with the new problems that arose just from the fact that you died. Turns out dying is bad for you. Yeah. Um, specifically, bad for your heart and bad for your brain. Like those are the main things that take a hit that would lead you to die again. Those are also a big part of why you probably died in the first place. Even if those weren't the primary issue, those secondarily are a big part of why you die. If your brain stops working, your heart stops beating, or if you stop breathing, you die. Um, but the the heart and the brain, you know, 
they they get pretty sad um, if you don't get blood and oxygen for a little while. So, so there's the whole, so that's how I kind of think about it. There's the, what caused the animal to die in the first place? And we need to make sure we are thinking about that and addressing that. And then there's like, okay, but now those extra problems, if it wasn't bad enough before it was because they died. Um, but now you have new challenges, um, and how bad those are in my experience, um, is largely related to how long they were dead for. Like the, sh- which just makes sense, right? The longer you're dead, mm-hmm. the, like the more time your brain and your heart go without oxygen, without perfusion, the more damage that they will sustain. So it just makes logical sense and it's backed up by literature. But yeah, like, so um, these will, these injuries will happen in varying degrees of severity depending on the each individual situation. Um, but so this, this is actually an incredibly short chapter to talk about like a big topic. I mean, that was true also of CPR, but I think it's even more true of this. Um, Do they pick it up again later in the book or? No, because like again, everything stuff? else in the book is like specific. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you address the specific issue. So like that's the main thing of um, post-arrest care is you have to do critical care and you have mm-hmm. to address like what that patient's needs are. So this is this was actually one of my favorite things. Um, it, they they do at the beginning of all of these chapters in um, so, uh, the um, small animal critical care is there's the little key points. And there are seven key points um, for this chapter. And the last one is a good one. And it's critically ill survivors should be referred to veterinary critical care centers for post-cardiac arrest care, which basically like if you don't do this on a regular basis, you're probably not going to be able to do a very good job. And that's okay. Like yeah. that is okay. It's, it, you know, every time you, you work on train on, you know, try to get better at something, that's time you're not spending on something else. And so if you don't do this routinely, you're probably not going to be, you should send this case to somebody who can. So like good on you for doing the CPR and getting them back, but it's time to, to like to transport that patient. What's the time to, frame uh, for something like that? ASAP. Yeah. I'm thinking it's like, how long does it take like an animal to go to another hospital after yeah, it got CPR? It's, that it is a very tough. good point. It is a very good point because what we don't have Just are like, like ambulance van. services and things like that. Um, and so that it absolutely has to factor in. I would say if you're out there and you're not at a critical care center and you have resuscitated a patient from CPR and this happens like there, you yeah. know, this happens not um, uncommonly. Who gave him a toy to play with during our podcast? What toy does he have? I, I, got, I brought all garbage? their toys out. Is he just playing with garbage? We've been unpacking too. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but if you, um, if you're not already at a critical care center, you can do CPR and bring your patients back and, and this happens. So good job. Um, but you're going to have to now figure out like, okay, now how do I keep this patient alive? And um, I, I would say step one is call the nearest critical care center. Yeah. Because what they can do is they can help advise you on like, okay, we're two hours away or we're 10 minutes away. That's going to, those are different plans. <laughs> like you're going to, you're going to manage this differently if you're 10 minutes away versus two hours. And so, but we can probably give you some advice over the phone on what are some things that you can do in the meantime? What are some things we can do to try to make transport, you know, uh, more successful, um, less likely to, you know, precipitate for the rest, but it's risky. Like at the end of the day, this is a risk transporting this patient. Um, and so the, the clients should know that, but not doing that is also risky. Right. So, you know, you need a 24 hour facility at a minimum. Um, ideally you should have a place with critical care, meaning a board certified critical care specialist 
that's why we exist is for these, this, this is our time, you know? Um, and if that's not available, then, you know, again, a, a 24 hour facility with, um, somebody who, who does this, um, even if they're not board certified is, is going to be like the next level down. Um, but if you don't have a 24 hour facility, like this, this animal's going to die and there's a good chance it's going to die anyway. Like the majority of the patients that die and we get return of spontaneous circulation are going to rearrest. Um, it's one of the things that, you know, I, I harp on is that, um, how do you define like a successful CPR? And ultimately I, I only consider it successful if the patient was discharged alive, you know, to the owners. What are the cases where it's, um, it's like CPR will work and the animal will be like, when they have, they have a, have a very problem. good chance. Well, like, um, like the things that cause them to arrest, but aren't like problems that will persist. It's just like, Oh, it's flea anemia. Yeah. Like, yeah, you have like a young um, puppy or kitten or like a cat that just has is riddled with fleas and the owners didn't know it was an outdoor animal or it got outside and it's been like roaming the streets for a while and it comes in and it's super duper anemic. Well, guess what? I can give a transfusion and I can treat the fleas. Like yeah. those are treatable problems. So I can, I can fix very quickly the anemia, right? Mm. I can give blood products and I can give them, boom, I can slam them in and then I can treat fleas. And they rest just because they're anemic. They're yeah. so anemic. Yeah. yeah. Because that's what carries the oxygen in your blood. And if you don't have oxygen carrying capacity, even if your blood flow is good, it, it's useless, yeah. right? It's empty blood essentially. And so I can replace the oxygen carrying capacity like that, like in a matter of minutes. And so those are some of the cases that are really successful or if, if they're anemic um, or if they've had blood loss and I can stop the bleeding, right? Yeah. So that's like treating the yeah, bleeds and stopping the, the bleeding. Um, so if I can tie off a bleeder, those can do really well. Um, if they have pleural space disease, so if they have fluid or air in the space around their lungs, that's something I can treat very quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's just causing um, like too much pressure so that you can't get enough Yeah, flow. it's a change in pressure so that the lungs can't expand because mm -hmm. there's pressure around them preventing them from expanding. And so, yeah, I can relieve that. I can relieve that very quickly. Pericardial effusion would be... Now, depending on what the underlying cause of the effusion was, their long-term prognosis, you know, if it's cancer, something like that, but it could be a treatable cancer. If it's a, a ruptured bulla causing a pneumothorax or trauma or something like that, I can fix those tissues or me, or I can get help from like a fancy surgeon or something like that. Like there is a fixable problem. So there's a short-term solution and then potentially a long-term solution. Those are the ones that can do really well. Um, so I like to say if they have a treatable condition or a fixable disease, general anesthesia, Anesthesia is a fixable disease. <laughs> it's like yeah. You were poisoning oh, yeah. them and then you can stop poisoning them. That was what them. I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So an anesthetic related deaths, assuming this was a health, like, a, like an elective procedure, mm -hmm. right? Um, not the animal that was like almost dead and we're like, oh, we, uh, it's probably going to die under anesthesia. But if we don't do this procedure, it's going to die anyway. So you try it and that one dies. Like mm. the prognosis for that one's still pretty terrible. But the one that goes in for an elective procedure, a dental procedure, a spay, um, maybe a lumpectomy, but was otherwise stable and dies related to the anesthesia. Those ones also have a pretty good chance of coming back. Um, so they need uh, an immediately fixable or at least improvable problem mm -hmm. um, in order for this to likely be successful. So it's also about like case selection, yeah. right? Who should you be doing CPR on? Um, and I've, I've have lots of conversations and I have lots of thoughts about that. But like if you have a patient in your ICU and you are doing everything you can to keep that um, animal from dying, and despite your best efforts, it dies anyway. I'm like, I wasn't holding anything back. Like I'm that, now I have that same problem that I wasn't successfully um, able to, to prevent the dying. Now I've added 
heart problems, brain problems on top of it. Like I've just made, yeah. made this even harder. And so in those cases, like I just have a, a very different conversation with a client about, you know, goals and expectations. It um, seemed like that's the sort of thing in an established client you'd have ahead of time. So, so yes, kind of yeah. know what they want. That's super duper important because when they walk through the door, you don't know, but no, not necessarily. But early on, if you have an inkling um, that that patient is going to die, you should definitely have that conversation. And for me, any patient that is hospitalized, we should have the conversation. How much um, kind of depth I go into it is probably going to depend a little bit on the client and a little bit on the patient. Um, how likely or not do I think it is that it's going to die? But I think what happens is we we talk about the CPR, but we don't talk about the post-arrest care. Like we don't actually have the conversation that, by the way, if your dog dies for any reason, even if it was unexpected and anesthetic related, he's now even, even worse shape. And this is going to get complicated and expensive. And, you know, by doing the CPR, you're sort of committing to that, that now we're going to continue. Not that you can't then choose to humanely euthanize, but that man, there are fewer disappointing things for me than to do CPR successfully, get that patient back, have the conversation with the owner and then euthanize. It's like, when do you yeah. have the conversation with the owner? Cause it seems like you're very yeah. busy. Like you just did CPR and you brought it back oh, and yeah. now you got to do all now. the things to keep it alive. Yeah. When do you have time to like you don't. call somebody? You don't have time, but you have to do it. Yeah. Like you just have to do it. So you always again, need to be like, hey, Siri, call the clients. <laughs> yeah, that should go really well. And yeah, you I actually, talk on your I have while three, you're doing stuff. three recordings and I just push play and be like, all right, I'm going to need you to listen to me for the next 10 minutes. And then I just push play and then I go back to work and then I come back and I'm like, okay, what questions do you have? <laughs> it works really well. No, I don't advise that. That's a terrible plan. I was just kidding. Um, but what, um, what I do think is really important is, is to have the conversation before the animal ever dies whenever possible. Sometimes we don't have that choice because they come in on emergency and like, boom, 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 it just happens. Um, but if we have the opportunity to talk with them, um, about what that would mean if their pet were to arrest, if their pet were to die and we were to do CPR, what, what does that mean? What is that going to look like? What is that? What are the costs associated or the likely costs associated with that? What is the prognosis associated with that? And to try and have that conversation beforehand. Again, if it's a situation where I think it's really unlikely, I tell the client like, Hey, I think it's really unlikely that in, you know, while, um, you know, Rosie is staying here with us that, you know, this is going to happen, but it still can happen unexpectedly. Things can change. You know, she's here because we don't have all the information. As we gather information, that could change. Um, and so we need to have this conversation now. We need to have this advanced directive. Um, and then I'm going to probably take the chance if it's very unlikely that Rosie is going to die um, and not have like, a, you know, a 10, 15 minute conversation about it at that time. I'm going to take the chance. And then if it happens, I'm going to have to have a longer conversation with them later. Versus if, if I'm like, Rosie's most likely going to arrest. Like we're going to do everything we can, but there's a good chance this dog's going to die. We're going to have the conversation now. Um, and I'm going to talk to them now and try to make sure they understand one, that this is likely to happen Two, um, that there's a good chance it won't be successful. Three, if it is successful, what does that mean? And what are the odds that we are ultimately successful? Meaning like we get her back um, and then we get her through the next stages. Um, and sometimes it's like, hey, I think that's those chances are- a bad conversation. It totally is. And that's why people don't like to have it. Yeah. <laughs> like it is, it's kind of a bummer, um, but it's our job, yeah. you know, is to have that conversation. I was just thinking um, like TV CPRs. I yeah, think probably they're super accurate. But I think the biggest like uh, indicator on whether a TV uh, CPR is successful or not is if the patient is already in the hospital, ah. it's probably not going to work. But if they're oh. just like rushed through the door real fast and they do everything, it's going to be successful. 
Here's what I think is the bigger determining factor on whether CPR will be successful on television. Do you know the character's name? Yeah, but there's that <laughs> one guy from Grey's Anatomy who just always screwed up. I don't know which guy. The one who um, failed the boards. I don't think I watched enough of it. He was the, in the first seasons. He's the, right. He was the one that... Was he the jerky guy? Yeah, the jerky guy. Yeah, I don't remember his the name. The one who killed a couple people. He did. I don't really remember that. Like he, he killed them because he was bad at CPR? Like he killed them, killed them? Uh, he killed them because he uh, wrote something down wrong and the oh, nurses didn't catch it. he made mistakes and things yeah. like that. Okay. Yeah. And so they died. I think he killed Booger. I don't... Who's Booger? From Nerds. Oh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. I yeah, can't remember that actor's name. he gave too much of something and it like... Oh, no. Super dehydrated him. Too much ferrosamide? Like, maybe. We'll and he that. was like drinking out of the toilet and then he oh. just died. Yikes. Um, I don't, it was I don't like know. a 10 what, or a hundred fold. What were we talking about at the beginning of this? Great CPR. Oh, okay. No. And TV. Um, yeah. If, yeah. If it's a, no, if it's a guest actor, then, then it could go either way. There's a good chance that patient, but if it's like a recur, like if it's like, if their, um, if their name is in the opening segment every week, CPR is going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Maybe it goes down a little bit if it's a season finale. Yeah. I There's probably like the more, an algorithm. The more of an emergency it is, the more. That's, but that's actually probably that's fairly reflective of real life. I would say that's generally going to be yeah, true in that's real more life. Probably related to blood loss and stuff. Well, it's more related if to if you around. just arrive with a problem that's bad enough that you could die. But we also haven't had a chance to treat you for that life-threatening condition. Versus if you're in the hospital, by definition, we are treating you and trying to keep you from dying. That's kind of what I was saying before. If you're in the hospital, you're in the ICU, and I'm doing everything I can to keep you from dying, and you die anyway, ah, I'm out of things to do. Versus if you come in off the street having just had major trauma or you're, it's like an initial diagnosis of a new problem, that means there's this whole plethora of things I haven't yet done that might help you. Yeah. And so those are the ones that I actually... So if, if that's been your impression on TV, I would say that's probably fairly true. They come in on emergency... There's a better chance that I, I, there's things that can still be done versus if they're already hospitalized, you're doing all the things that can be done, hopefully. And if not, why aren't you doing those things? Um, so, I mean, I always kind of say like there, I'm not holding anything back. There's not like this magic treatment that it's in my back pocket that I'm like, oh, well, I, if you're going to go ahead and die on me, I guess we'll give you that. Like you only give it to patients if they, no, give it to them now. So, so that's actually, I would say a fairly accurate reflection, at least from my experience that if it's an, if it's a just arrived at the hospital arrest, because then you have to take like out of hospital arrest versus in hospital arrest, um, an out of hospital arrest in veterinary medicine is probably going to be terrible. Um, despite what clients will tell you how, when like they did CPR and everything, uh, great. Yeah. like when clients do CPR, it has an incredibly high success rate. Um, but I think that probably has more to do with a misdiagnosis of they, they miss diagnosed cardiopulmonary arrest. It wasn't that you um, gave your, your dog CPR, it's you broke its ribs. Yeah. It's that it had a syncopal event. It fainted. And you were like, oh, and so you punch on its chest and it popped up and you're like, I saved it. And you're like, you did. Good job. <laughs> well done you. Um, yeah. I mean, there's no harm in just being like, yeah, for sure. Um, but also here's some training on CPR so that next time you have an even better chance. <laughs> um, yeah. But in human medicine, like people get trained um, on, you know, being first responders or not first responders, but um, I guess that's what you are, your first responder. But I don't mean like as a career, you can go and do CPR training, you can get yeah. CPR certified, first aid certified. Um, so that's far more common in human medicine. But all, not only that, we have ambulances that will come to you and then you could be, they could be starting the resuscitation on the way to the hospital where those are, those are not 
routinely options for us in veterinary medicine. Um, so out of hospital arrest, the other thing with out of hospital arrest is what's the underlying cause. And in people, myocardial infarctions and heart disease are common cause. And so you see like automated external defibrillators everywhere. And if so, if that's the reason you arrested and somebody can like defibrillate you really quickly, your odds go up. And so it, it gets a little more complicated and it's not really comparing apples to apples to look at human in and out of hospital CPR versus veterinary. Yeah. Well, cause people get but, a lot older than animals do relative yeah. to the their like ideal age. I'm not even sure that's necessarily part of it, but um, it's more, I think it's just like the infrastructure that's in place mm-hmm. um, is probably going to be better. Like, I don't know. That, that might, that might be some of it, but um, yeah, I think it, it, it's largely due to infrastructure and like how many bystanders are around and who know how to, um, uh, you know, provide some type of life-saving first aid or CPR Versus in veterinary medicine, that's probably less frequent. Um, and now you have to get to the nearest facility. Um, you have to know where that is. You can't just call 911 and have an ambulance show up to your house. It's also hard to flag someone down when you're a dog and you're having a heart attack. It's like, totally. hey, uh, hey, my arms feel funny. Right. I think, I think I'm going to have a heart attack. Could right. someone, yeah. could so someone recognize, help me here? Just recognizing that there's a problem is potentially but an issue. you just do that, just embarks. <laughs> Yeah, if you ever hear that bark, it's probably that you're... Also, dogs don't really have heart attacks. I mean, they, they can, but they don't. Um, yeah, so I guess, yeah, we've just kind of gone off on, on this and didn't really focus on the chapter itself. Well, get but, back on track. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to. So, um, yeah, so they break this down into the post-cardiac arrest syndrome. So they have four different categories. The persistent precipitation of the pathology. So that's... <sighs> yeah, say that dozen times. That was alliteration there. It was pretty alliterative. Um, That's basically what I was talking about. What's the reason they died, right? So like whatever caused them to die in the first place, don't forget about that. And then you now have new issues. So that's going to be the heart is now unhappy and you're going to have dysfunction from that. So you might have um, um, like almost a DCM like syndrome, a dilated cardiomyopathy where the heart muscles just aren't working um, very well. Um, That can happen from myocardial stunning. Um, oh, did our recording just stop? It did. All right. Well, if you're watching this on YouTube, (laughs) uh, sorry, I guess (laughs) you don't know about it. (laughs) Maybe we won't put this one up on YouTube. Yeah. All right. Sorry, YouTubers. You're just going to have to listen to the podcast. (laughs) That's such a sad sound. Um, so the heart's going to be very sad. It's not going to work optimally, which is a bummer because you really need it to. So you're going to need to try to think about ways to support that. You don't have to think about it there. A lot of them are in the chapter and plenty of other resources for you. Um, the brain, the brain has also suffered injury by not having, um, oxygen and glucose for a while. So it gets, um, pretty unhappy. The good news is on this one for me is that in our patients, one, they're, um, they're fairly resilient neurologically. And I don't know, I suspect that's twofold. I suspect that they're partly just resilient neurologically, but I also think it's that the, the bar that we've set for what they need to have good neurologic function is far lower than for a person, right? Like for you, if you were to, to die and have CPR and come back, like neurologic dysfunction, meaning, oh, well, you can't speak, you can't read, you can't drive, you can't do all, like that impacts your quality of life. Mm-hmm. But you're like, oh, but you can eat, drink, pee, poop, and sleep. 
and like walk around. And if that was enough for you, you'd be like, cool. And for our patients, sometimes we're like, cool. They, uh, the cat pees and poops in the litter box. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, he's, you know, sits on the couch and watches TV with me. We watch reruns of, um, friends of, I was going to say Grey's Anatomy, (laughs) um, or friends. That's pretty popular too. Uh, so I think like, you know, does your dog, is your, you know, unable to read from now on? Okay. Like that part of its brain is gone. Yeah. Didn't notice. Um, so, so some of it, I, I actually, I'm usually fairly optimistic about the neurologic recovery in these patients. Uh, I always warn people like there's, there's a chance that, you know, some of these neurologic functions won't ever come back, but, um, I've, I've had pretty good success with the neurologic recovery in uh, post-arrest cases. And then there's the ischemia reperfusion response. And so this is where, um, it gets complicated. Lots of things that could be going on, but this is where they have this systemic inflammatory response. So basically every tissue in the body is now going to be like, Hey, we went for a while without any blood flow and now we're getting blood flow. And this can um, lead to a variety of issues from um, oxidative damage from, um, reactive oxygen species and damage to tissues that way. Um, it can lead to disruptions in hemostasis, disruptions in just vascular tone. Um, yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of, a lot of, you know, systemic specific things that can be going wrong. Um, and it's hard to address all of these things. So like, you know, pick out what do I think is going on? And how long is the heart being stopped? Like, what do you mean? How, like when you start to see this stuff, like what's the time scale where things get worse and worse? Is it seconds, minutes? Probably minutes. Tens of minutes. Minutes, and then the longer the heart is, yeah, seconds, no, but like minutes, yes, this is all going to become a problem after a few minutes, and then the, the more so like minutes. So a few you think like two minutes. Two to three minutes, minutes that patient's probably going to recover pretty quickly. Okay. Five to 10 minutes, uh, it's going to take longer. Longer than like 10 to 15 minutes, then I, I start to get and why more is it that? Why does that short amount of time, does everything just kind of start to like... Well, you think about like, I guess the way I think about it is like individual cells Mm -hmm. can go for a little while without. Right. But I think they'd be able to last more than like five minutes. I mean, a lot of them can, but not all of them. Like it's probably just numbers, right? Like Mm -hmm. how many cells have died and and need to be recovered. And then how many of them didn't die, but are damaged or like they've now, they're now injured. Um, So it's probably more like statistical than it. Like I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. Well, I guess when I think of it as like a like a machine like if you think of the body as a machine it's like why does why does it deteriorate so fast right but i guess the way i think about the body isn't quite if you think about it as a machine that has an on off switch that sure um i suppose that could make sense but this is a machine that is made up of thousands and thousands of tiny machines that Mm -hmm. each have their own on off switch and some some of them have permanently turned off turned the off switch and some of them are like malfunctioning but they're you know they they have the the chance to recover but it's all the individual cells collectively that make up Mm -hmm. you know so it's kind of cell damage that yeah yeah, the thing. exactly. And so it's, it's like how much, like a, indi- how many of your individual cells have it's died? Not that your blood just like clotted from not flowing. Right. It's not. Um, I mean, there could be some of that, but like, no, that's not really the issue. Yeah, It's not like your veins get funny from being collapsed or something. Not from being collapsed, but like the cells that make up the walls of those vessels mm-hmm. were not getting what they needed for a while. And again, so all, all of the cells in your body have varying degrees of like needs. And so some, like your heart and your brain, like are constantly needing 
nutrients and oxygen. Like you need to come get rid of the waste. Like imagine you had, um, you know, every day, multiple times a day, um, garbage collection <laughs> like that. You're in a super fancy, either a super fancy neighborhood or just like a high garbage producing area and you mm -hmm. need to pick up garbage all the time. Like that's kind of what your heart and your brain are. You need somebody to bring in supplies and get rid of waste constantly. And in an area where you're constantly making more waste and consuming more nutrients, the, it will take less time for the garbage to build up and for you to deplete your supplies mm -hmm. versus like, oh, well, we only need to have our garbage picked up like once every couple of months. And like we have, you know, we, we don't eat a whole lot. We don't have a whole lot of demands. And so we can go for a lot longer um, before, you know, like if we miss a month for the garbage, like eh, we're okay. Not that big of a deal. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's a little bit of um, supply and demand and not all of your cells are equal in what they need supply wise and what they need like garbage collection wise. Mm -hmm. um, so the higher their needs, the needier, the, the more high maintenance those tissues are, the more damage they're going to suffer. Um, and, you know, where does that scale tip over into death versus life? Um, you know, that's hard to quantify, but you'll know it if you've tipped over into the other side. Um, this is more like high level philosophical kind of looking at it, the nitty gritty of these things. Um, they go to like into some, you know, somewhat detail on some specific um, issues that can arise. Uh, looking, just kind of looking over this, they'll talk about, you know, issues with being able to maintain blood sugar could be a problem. Um, adrenal dysfunction could be a problem. Um, oxygenation, things like that can be a problem. Some important things to note um, for this is um, when you are, you know, recovering a patient or managing a patient in the post-arrest period that you can get too much of a good thing. Um, so if like a little bit of oxygen is good, then all of the oxygen is better, right? Well, no, that's not necessarily true. Um, if, um, so, so just kind of being mindful of that. I don't know. We can go into more detail or we can kind of keep it this 20,000 foot view. What do you think? Yeah. You think you're good? I think so. I think everybody side, knows how to do this. Motor knows that the camera's not working. Yeah, what a little stinker. So yeah, since the camera died, um, Motor's like, oh, I'm going to come hang out with you guys. I don't know how he knows. <gasps> it's the it's a spelling bee. Spelling bee. It took me a second. I was like, it's the buzzing. It's Okay, I'm going to close the book so I can't cheat. All right. Since they can't see me anymore. Spelling bee. Spelling bee. I got to pull I forgot for a second up. the motor can't hear that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I was like, oh, is he listening? Oh, he's not. <laughs> All right. We've got our ear. ear you have in. five words. Five words. Okay. All right. Let me I did pretty good last make time. Make sure my buttons are up. All right. Your first word is ischemia. Ischemia. I S C H E M I A. Ischemia. Sorry. Do that again. I accidentally what? pushed a button. Oh, okay. I S C H E M I A. Ischemia. Ding, ding. That's right. All right, your second word, which we didn't mention. Well, maybe you, yeah, you did mention it, is myocardial. Myocardial. M-Y-O-C-A-R-D-I-A-L. Myocardial. <laughs> That's correct. Your fourth word. What? You went out of order. We only oh, sorry, did two. third word. Okay. Is assessment. Ooh, a lot of S's in this one. Assessment. A-S-S-E-S-S-M-E-N-T. Yep. Assessment. <laughs> your fourth word yeah is glycemic glycemic g-l-y-c-e-m-i-c glycemic 
And okay, then what is this one going to be? Your last word, the hard one, is you can just do the last name. But if you get the last name, you have to spell the first name too. What? It's Frederick Mass. In 1891, he's the first like documented chest compressions done on a human. Mass? Yeah. Um, can I do Frederick? <laughs> yeah, you can try Frederick first. Oh, wait. Oh, I think, is he uh, Frederick? Um, F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C? No? Nope. Are you sure it's Frederick? I mean. Does he spell it with a P-H? No. <laughs> okay, Mass, is it just M-A-S-S? No. Okay, I don't know at all. It's a proper noun name. So, Frederick Mass? Okay, what is it? Uh, Frederick is... F-R-I-E-D-R-I-C. Friedrich. Yeah. It's German. Yeah. Friedrich. Well, that's not fair. You said Frederick. Yeah, whatever. All right. And you should know who this is. He's some <laughs> he's an important man from history. He's the first blar, man to do blar, blar, chest blar. compressions in 1891. And how long has he been dead? I don't know. He's probably still alive because he did chest compressions. <laughs> uh, and his last name? Is M-A-A-S-S. Moss. Oh, it's two A's and two S's? Yeah. I would have never gotten that. <laughs> Do I have to give all the money back? Huh? I have to give all the money back. No, that's the prices, right? You get whatever you win. Oh, okay, cool. Four out of five. I get a B. Pretty good. Minus. I thought you were going to give me, like, I don't know, arrhythmia or something. I figure you knew how to spell all the words in this one, so I got to find. You know all the, how to spell all the doctor stuff because you have yeah, to do. Yeah, I do have to write them. Your um, discharges and yeah. stuff. You actually write your discharge. Discharges. I do. Like some doctors. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I do. And I, like I said before, like I, I'm, I'm a pretty good speller about things. But there's assessment th- for a second there. I was like, I'm pretty sure it's two S's and two S's. But I was like, oh, right. That one's tricky. Even it though is. it's probably like the most common word. Everybody. Yeah, I say word. it all the time. But like the other thing too for me when I'm spelling things is if I see it and it's wrong, I'm like, wait, that looks wrong. And I have to. I can. I, I recognize if it's wrong, even if I'm not sure why. But at any rate, all right. Well, that was pretty good. Um, you're good at finding random names. Such yeah. a cheater for spelling. You're going to have to come up. But the one you did last time was like a real word, but I'd never even yeah. heard of it. So. Do you remember what it was? Not even a little bit. You don't bit. remember logoreic? Oh, yeah, logoreic. Yeah. What did it mean again? It's, uh, you know, when you're talking on these things and you just keep droning on and on. Oh, yeah, you're using it to s- describe me. Yeah. I'm never <laughs> going to remember that. I refuse to remember that word. That's too bad. <laughs> okay. Well, sorry uh, if you wanted to watch this one. We will figure I'll have it out. on YouTube. I'll just put a, a still frame. Oh. Oh. Okay. We'll pick a good one. Yeah. Cute, we'll get a cute picture of the cats and put it up there. Okay. <laughs> okay. We will. Oh, wait. What's the next chapter? Oh, chapter. Yeah. Hang on. So next time it will be drum roll, drum roll, drum roll. What did we do already? We did. That was chapter, chapter four. four. So, ooh. So now we're going to do pre-arrest care. It's actually the chapter five is called shock, (laughs) which I would consider pre-arrest care. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll catch you next time for shock with doctors De La Forcade and Silverstein. Bye. Bye.